Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson, and I'm here in the beautiful Spurgeon Library studio, as always. Uh, it's a great October day. This episode will come out just in a few weeks, so we're enjoying fall. I hope you're enjoying fall. Got your pumpkin spice latte and all those sorts of things, if that's your um, if that's your jib. Uh, but I'm here today with a very special guest, Dr. Matthew Millsap. Uh, Dr. Millsap is Assistant Director of Library Services at Midwestern Seminary. He's also Assistant Professor of Christian Studies, uh, which includes, which involves teaching a class on Christianity and the arts, uh, which entails speaking, of course, about the storytelling and, and particular storytelling of filmmaking. And so I've brought Dr. Millsap here uh, to speak with me. We're going to have a conversation about uh, about movies uh, specifically, not just arts in general, although, although we could talk about that, um, but really why Christian movies are so terrible. And with that, it's a really great introduction. Thank you, Dr. Millsap, for coming on the podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. <laughs> happy to be here. Yeah, well, we'll see how happy you are when it's all, done, all said and done. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I want to lead with this, and it is kind of a leading question, and uh, of course you're free to disagree, but uh, why are Christian movies so terrible? <laughs> or do you agree they are? Okay, do you okay. think they are? So I'll begin by saying yes. Okay, Just, all right. <laughs> for the most part, they they are terrible, okay. and um, and I say that you know rather disappointingly, I guess, because I feel like that they should be so much better than they actually are. Yeah. But um, I, I I'm inevitably disappointed by just about any of them that I see. Yeah. Are they getting? Better because some people say, "Hey, they're getting better." You need to watch this or that example. Um, I do think they are getting better okay. as kind of like the skills of directors and, and just general filmmaking skills seem to have been improving over the years in terms of, of faith-based films. And by those, I mean like films that are specifically targeted for okay. a faith-based audience yeah. and are uh, created predominantly by believers. Gotcha. So uh, and that's how I define Christian movies. I'm assuming that's similar to how kind of you would define yeah, them too. Yeah, movies made by and for the Christian market predominantly. They're right. beginning, you know, m- more of those movies have theatrical releases these days than they did when, you know, 10, 15 years ago. They used to be purely a straight-to-video uh, market. There were some exceptions, but generally straight-to-video, um, sold in Christian bookstores or in Christian retailers. Now more and more of them have theatrical releases. Um, I think they're beginning to see evangelicals in particular, but the Christian market as moviegoers, and so they've got the budget for that. Uh, but that's generally what I'm talking about. They're made really for the Christian market. Right, right. And so, yes, I agree that they have improved on the, in the technical sense. And some of that has to do, I think, too, with the expansive uh, or expanding budgets that many of them yeah. have now. It's so like you described, you know, back when it was like straight to video releases, things like that. You could tell just how low budget they were, um, and just in terms of the actual quality of the yeah. acting and the filmmaking itself. But now, as the market seems to have expanded for films like that, and uh, that Hollywood is, has kind of seen that there is a pretty substantial market for films like that, the budgets have increased accordingly, and I think that's allowed them to maybe produce things at a higher level of quality and uh, attract more talent than they would have otherwise. Yeah. Okay, so on the note of budget, it's this is why I think I'm, I'm even more, I don't know if disgruntled is the word, or disappointed. They're raising so much money and pooling a lot of money. I know there's, you know, uh, donors and, and funders and, um, you know, producers who who do that. And I know for some of the leading 
um, you know, sort of examples of the Christian market films, the sort of, uh, the, you know, the you know, cutting edge guys who are really pushing the boundaries in terms of theatrical release and, and that sort of thing. They have a church, you know, mega church, you know, funding. My, my concern is that this is like all this money being pulled and poured into something that just fl- falls flat artistically. And so they've got the money now to have the best cameras and they've got a lot of, you know, the technical aspects of it have significantly improved from the kind of movies that were made for the Christian market 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, but narratively, dialogically, um, and then it's just, yeah, yeah it, it, it just seems to fall flat as, as art. So why can't we get that right? What, what's happening there, do you think? What are the, the things in play? Well, my honest impression of that is that they're not interested in actually creating art. <laughs> okay. Okay. Wow. So, All right. um, and, and, you know, I have to be careful here because I don't know exactly what the motives are, although I can kind of discern the motives on the basis of the marketing and the way that the, the movie tends to be pitched towards a particular audience and yeah. pitched in terms of, you know, Hollywood coming in and stepping uh, like studios stepping in essentially and being co-producers and that kind of thing. So it seems to me that they're not really interested in in art per se. Rather, they're interested in providing some sort of entertaining way to get across a particular message, I think is is predominantly what's going on in most cases yeah. with those with those Christian movies that if, if you're focusing strictly on on the message and and you're building the rest of what you're doing around that, then it's necessarily kind of going to reflect the fact that it's just more mere entertainment than it is art, I think. Yeah, you know, I've I've thought twice about this over the last several years. Um, so the first way I thought about it is that it resembles what we would might call propaganda, which is you begin with a message or something you want to say, and then you build artificially the story around that and the story becomes kind of a vehicle for this message. And that's really kind of the essence of, of, of being propagandistic. And I've somewhat employed, you know, C.S. Lewis and his little uh, essay on, on why fairy stories sometimes tell what, or say it best the way it should be told or something. I forget the title, but it's on, it's on fairy stories. And Lewis has that line about the best stories from Christians have the Christianity latent in them. And I used to think he meant, like does he mean like obscure? He means under the surface, really that it's latent. Does he mean that we're like compromising our views? And but I don't think he means that at all. I think he means that the Christianity is driving the thing, but is not sort of uh, um, we're not building a story around the message. So he uses the example of how he built Narnia. Some people think that he was like, I want to communicate the message of Christ in, in a fairy tale way, but it began with him imagistically. He thought of a fawn carrying packages in the snow and that sort of thing. And he began to build the world around that. Because he's a Christian, he couldn't help, but his Christian worldview is fueling it. And so I wonder, it's a matter of not trusting the Christian worldview to help us not make narrative choices that are worldly or fleshly and let the art go. Um, I'm beginning to think now, however, that the way how we've um, sort of turned the corner on this is to see that maybe the the approach of having a message is okay because we see examples in the world um, like there are what could be propagandistic movies in the world right you know a movie about fracking or you know I've seen some of these things it's a you know it's it's clearly a movie against big oil or something and yet and yet um, not only is it technically and performatively good there seems to be a depth of nuance and characterization. And so even if they began with, how do we do a movie about how fracking is bad? They're 
putting time into layers of character um, that just doesn't seem to be there in Christian movies. It seems what's carrying the whole thing is this sense of um, of of the message, and they're making a didactic point. And I almost wish just write a nonfiction essay about this subject, right? Right. I think you've put your finger on it uh, exactly in terms of what's going on there. So uh, one of the things we talk about in Christianity and the arts is, is that no art comes divorced from a worldview. That's right. So all art is going to be created out of some worldview. It's just a matter of what worldview is the underlying worldview mm. of the artist. And to the extent that the artist creates art that is in concert with whatever his or her worldview is, that has more artistic validity than someone who's trying to maybe somehow subvert their own worldview and produce something else. But the difference there in, in terms of the message is, is all art also carries a message as well. But I think with what you were describing in terms of your example with Lewis and what was going on there, because I think it's particularly pertinent to what we're talking about right now, is that when it comes to the way that art should be done, it's not a beginning with the message and then trying to just drill that message into someone almost sort of ham-fistedly in a way, <laughs> right. right? But instead, you see sort of that the message and the art organically working together in a way in terms of the way that the art actually comes out of the underlying message. So it is true that the artist is intending to express a message, but the way that they're approaching that, say like in the C.S. Lewis sense, is that it's more organically forming rather than saying, okay, this is a particular message that I want to to come across here. Let's say it's like a Christian um, movie message of, um, you know, pray to God and he'll answer your prayers and everything will be all right, that yeah, kind of thing, yeah. you know. And so if, if you're starting with something that's that straightforward in terms of what the message is and you are intending to communicate that message throughout the movie, you're so focused on that, then it's not exactly art in the sense that art is going to be formed organically from the perspective of how artists would view what their art is. No true artist would ever say, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to come up with a sort of like a propagandistic message like <laughs> you're talking right. about. Yeah. And, and then just basically trying to express that and uh, hit someone over the head with it. They would describe their process as being much more organic than that, almost sort of like it kind of arose out of what they were producing without them necessarily strictly saying, okay, here's the message, here's yes. exactly what it's going to be, and now I'm going to try to build everything around whatever that is. Yeah, in a way, it's a process of discovery. And if you're a believer indwelled by the Holy Spirit and your mind has been renewed, um, what you're discovering is within the bounds, typically, <clears throat> or if it's out of bounds, you're submitting it to within the bounds of, of orthodoxy, what you're discovering is things that comport with your understanding of the world as something God created and created good fallen and yet um, being upheld by the powerful word of Christ. Um, I'm, I'm writing a, a story right now, a novel that began as a series of images similar. I, I really love um, like where'd everybody go stories. So from the zombie thing, you know, we're trapped in a mall to the Twilight Zone episode, like where'd everybody go? The guy wandering, I think it was Burgess Meredith in the old Twilight Zone episode, where'd everybody go in the city? And he enjoyed it because he didn't want anyone to be around. Um, something like, so I started with that. It was like these boys who go back to their island town and everyone's gone and trying to figure out that mystery just compelled me that, that notion. And as we begin exploring it, the themes that are coming up out of the surface of where I'm going with the story are things about sovereignty and human responsibility and for ordination and, and free choice and the dynamic or, or tension there. But I didn't sit down and go, how do I write a story about predestination or 
something like that. It just came up through, it just bubbled up through the narrative that I, that began constructing it out of those supposals. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And what you're describing is something that requires a, a certain level of nuance to it, right? In sure. term, and those are, those are deeper, more difficult themes that are going to require more nuance where art is able to accommodate that. Mm. Where I don't see Christian movies as being able to accommodate something like that is because they're so simplistic in terms of what they're wanting to communicate. They don't leave any room for any type of, of nuance or uh, things that are going to be difficult for right. people, not necessarily to wrap their minds around. I don't mean it's like a level of intelligence or something like that, but rather difficult in the sense that this makes me uncomfortable. I don't exactly like thinking about this, that type yes. of thing. Well, in a way, it's sort of a parallel to a kind of, you know, escapism that movies are for a lot of people for, you know, I mean, I mean, just, you know, take it outside of the context of believers or, you know, or evangelicals. Uh, a lot of people, they, they go to movies to escape from reality. They want the tidy re- resolutions. They don't want nuance. It's not just, you know, um, believers who aren't going to artistic films. It's the average moviegoer who wants to see just the popcorn genre type movies. We, we I think, see movies purely as entertainment. And so when you couple that with a Christian message, in a way, you sort of, um, you know, superficialize the Christian message uh, in ways that certainly the scriptures don't, right? Um, you begin to, 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 you know, make things shallow. And, and I think even theologically, so you touched on just a second ago, um, you know, sort of the example of a message like, if you just pray hard enough, something good will happen, you know, kind of thing. <clears throat> and I think the theology of so many Christian movies or, or, or movies made for the Christian market seems to fall along those lines. Um, what would a Christian movie be if the thing the person was praying for the whole time didn't come true or didn't happen at the end of the movie? Um, and yet we see things like that kinds of, you know, the Bible has lament as well as joy. It has, and I don't know if we have a, a, a category for Christian movies that are about lament. I don't think that we do. And I don't know that something like that honestly would even sell. So, <laughs> right, even, so like, right. from the perspective of, if you're looking at it from the perspective of say like, you know, a mega church provides the initial funding for a Christian movie and then a Hollywood studio comes in alongside them to co-produce and, right. and co-fund and that kind of thing. They're not going to to go for that. I don't think in terms of where the market is going to go and what the market is expecting, because that would so subvert the expectations of maybe what the Christian faith going or uh, faith based movie going audience yeah. is interested in. That does not really align with that type of a story. But it, it is an interesting point because that's something that I've often wondered as well is, you know, where is the Christian film in which not only do is there no resolution by the end of the movie that is in favor of the characters, but the characters have, say, been praying for whatever this resolution is, and it's not even clear by the end of the movie whether or not God has even heard their prayers, mm. right? Where is a movie like that? Because if you're looking at, say, the people of God in the Old Testament, I mean, that's their experience repeatedly. Yeah, how so, long, O Lord, yeah. Right, so if you're talking about making a movie from a biblical perspective, then where is the movie that references what that experience is like? Because that's not something that's just exclusive to the Old Testament. That's something that happens even now in the lives of believers. But I think the problem is, and I was discussing this with a friend, uh, I guess, last week, talking about Christian movies a little bit and everything. The problem is, I think, that for the majority of the faith-based movie-going audience, they want to leave the theater feeling better about themselves. Yeah. And a movie like that is decidedly not going to produce that type of uh, a response. Yeah. You know, yeah, to feel better about yourself and, and to sort of reinforce expectations and comfortabilities. Uh, I think of, 
you know, movie, I, you know, not going to name any names of movies or, or like I won't. You, you're welcome to do so. But, <laughs> but movies where uh, every character says exactly what you expect them to say or you would want them to say in your mind. So movies where the atheist professor is debating the Christian student and, you know, the Christian student gets the better of the atheist professor because they all say uh, the script reads like some kind of Facebook meme or, so, you know, some sort of uh, Christian urban legend, how things are supposed to go. And and many times don't reflect reality. Now we know reality that is, is is that the atheist professor is wrong in his worldview, and yet the way these things play out in real life is not as cut and dry. So it's scripted that there is a an an, an easy victory. Everyone says what you would hope they would say, and um, you know we we win the day handily, and 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 you know the foe is somewhat uh, you know disgraced with you know flourish of rhetoric or whatever it is, and it just. It's like comfort food because it, it it's what we expect. Uh, it's what we 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 wish the world was like. That's one of the problems I have with some Christian market films is it's it doesn't reflect the world as it is. It reflects the world as we wish it was like. And I think there's elements that you can do that in a in in a film in the right way. Um, but to reflect the world as it is is a, is honesty. And and Christians are truth tellers. And so to be honest about the way the world really is, which is sometimes the Christian student gets demoralized by the atheist professor. And it doesn't mean Christianity's wrong. It just means um, sometimes that's what happens in life. You get, you get hurt, you get, you get squashed. Um, do you think there's any, um, you know, are, are there any good example? I mean, can you, are there any movies, you know, we're being kind of downers here, but somebody listening may be like, Hey, what about such and such? Can you think of any Christian market films that you're smiling? Like, Oh man, I have a, no answer to this. <laughs> That are good. Have you seen any? Um, to be honest, according to my standards, probably not. Okay, the, all right. The closest that I think that I've that I've found where I I thought that they did a, a relatively admirable job in, and it was a, a satisfactory effort, I guess you might say. Okay, um, was I can only imagine which okay. which recently came out. Yeah, that, that was one that I thought did a relatively okay job because it was based on a true story of an individual, right? In okay. this case, the lead singer of, of Mercy Me, and so it's basically kind of like a story of of his life. That seems to me to yeah. be um, easier to do a higher quality presentation of, or to do justice to a story like that than just one that's simply being made up. Yeah. fictionally by uh, the, the faith-based movie uh, directors and, and producers and whatnot. Um, because in that case, you know, you actually have to stick relatively closely to what actually transpired in that person's life. And of course, there's going to be, you know, flourishes here and there to move the story along and that kind of thing, yeah. as you would find in any Hollywood production of a based on a true story type film. But at the same time, it's still relatively constrained, if you will, right? Because they can't deviate too far from what actually happened in sure. his life. So um, I thought that 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 was that was a pretty good one. Um, it, based on Christian movie standards, I guess that's okay. that's about as far as I would go, though, because yeah. pretty much every other one that I've I've seen, I've just yeah uh, yeah. I, I've never seen a good one, and and after a while, I just gave up because it's sort of like you run. It's like Charlie Brown running at that football. You know, there's only so many times. They say, oh, this is the one. And every time, and then, and, and there was even a period where people would say, no, 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 you got to see this one. I know they're all bad, but not this one. You, this is the exception. And I'd be like, all right. And I watch it, and it's terrible. And I'm just <laughs> tired of having people say, this is the good one. And I almost want to say, what other movies do you like? So I can have some kind of context for your. 
for your taste. The closest thing uh, that I can think of, and it, it, it wasn't a big film as far as I know. It was just, you know, went straight to video. And it's probably 15 years old, actually. Uh, was an animated film. Um, and it, I, if I rem- remember incorrectly, it's called The Miracle Maker. Did you ever see The, the Miracle Maker? No, I haven't. It's basically um, sort of follows the life of Christ, teaching of Christ, and it's kind of the Passion Week is where it, it culminates. And it's a mix of claymation, which is interesting. So claymation – and there's uh, animated sequences, you know, um, you know, drawn animated sequences in the midst of it. And um, it is a, it's a foreign production, and it was groups of churches, Christians. They even got some biblical scholars to consult on it, including N.T. Wright. And they got some high-powered voice talent. I think Liam Neeson is the voice of Jesus, which is oh, wow. interesting. I think that's correct. Um, and it was really good. And, um, you know, I found it through, you know, Christian Bookstore. That seemed to be, the, you know, the main market for it. Um, I think it it aired in some markets on television during Easter time, that sort of thing. But it's not very well known. Um, I don't know if it quite qualifies as a Christian market film, but it was sort of it. You know, the source of it seemed to be some you know Christians coming together, churches coming together. Um, I think in England or you know to put this thing together, and um, I thought it was really well done. It was very moving. Um, there was uh, depth of characterization. Some have even. Um, motivation, like why did Judas turn, all these sorts of things, and you see sort of the influence of um, the political interests of of, uh, of the zealots and that sort of thing, maybe driving some of this, or the expectations of what the Messiah should be versus what the Messiah was, and all these sorts of things. So uh, it was good, but then you didn't have actors on there trying to act, you know, you had claymation, <laughs> and you had real actors doing the voices. And So I don't know if that qualifies, uh, but that's the best "Quote unquote Christian market movie that I've ever seen. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, check it out. It's called The Miracle Maker. It's it's very good. All right, let's take a break and hear a word from our host from Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry contact. Come be a part of one of the fastest growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu mdiv today. Okay, we're back. We're talking with Dr. Matthew Millsap. We're talking about, essentially, uh, why Christian movies are so terrible. And But I want to turn the corner now and talk about um, movies with Christian themes, or what we might call Christian movies. They're not necessarily made for the Christian market, of course, but quote-unquote Christian movies that are not terrible, right? We don't want to leave you just like your favorite Christian movie. We don't want to leave you with a downer. We want to have an upturn <laughs> and have a tidy resolution for everybody, uh, although I'm sure it won't please everyone. Um, so, yeah, l- let me ask it this way, uh, Dr. Millsap. Why does it seem like the world makes movies with Christian themes better, and not just technically, better than th- Christians themselves? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with their willingness to approach things from a perspective of allowing difficulty, um, allowing, like we were just discussing previously, nuance. Um, allowing for the possibility that things are not going to be ultimately resolved in the end, Uh, maybe even some questioning and some doubting. Not that I'm saying necessarily that Christians need to 
go that direction, you know, sure. in their own lives or in, in faith or whatever. But it exists but in the world. It does, yeah. right. And so it's a recognition of that. Also, I think, too, um, there's a, a profound sense in which I think that the Hollywood filmmakers who are making films like this are willing to concede things to mystery in mm. a way that a lot of believers are not necessarily comfortable with. Um, in, in terms of recognizing some element and level of divine mystery and, and, and an inability for us to fully grasp who um, exactly what God is doing and, and how he might be working, what particular circumstances there are similar. I, they wouldn't necessarily approach it from that perspective as a believer in saying, you know, they understand mystery the same way that we do in the scriptures, because obviously God is knowable and it has made himself known to us, um, most especially through his son, Jesus Christ. But at the same time, there still is an element and a level of divine mystery that to which we we do not have access and will mm-hmm. never have access, being created beings who are finite. So I, I think that a lot of times those Hollywood uh, productions that maybe touch on some of these themes without going in an explicitly Christian direction are nonetheless more comfortable with that element of mystery and, and maybe kind of depicting that in the characters and in the, the lives and what is transpiring over the course of the story that doesn't really quite fit, say, a Christian movie paradigm where everything has to be neat and tidy and explained. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, when uh, a while back, I, it was in my first uh, my first novel, and I remember we sent it to a Christian publisher, and this was probably, oh, gosh, 2000. It was just literally like 18 years ago or so. And um, the publisher came back, and one of the things they said was, um, you know, they liked the book, but the uh, the end where um, the good guy – so there's a fire you – know, there's a gunfight, um, and the good guy gets shot. And he doesn't die. He doesn't die, but um, he gets significantly injured, and his arm, and his arm in fact, gets uh, gets blown off by a shotgun. And I, I didn't describe it gorily. I'm not talking about tendons hanging out or, you know, everything <laughs> for you sensitive listeners. Uh, imagining what I might have described, I simply, simply described it as a plot point of what was happening. And they said, like, th- like this can't happen. So it wasn't that I described it too grotesquely. It was the fact that it happened, that the good guy could not get hurt. And I thought, that's not realistic. And this is already a supernatural thriller, so there's already aspects of it that aren't realistic. <laughs> but there's got to be stakes. Good people die in the real world. And yet the pushback – so here's the pushback. We talk about nuance, talk about mystery, and I know all of the – you know, there's a, there's a lot of people being triggered right now because they think that, you know, uh, there are definitive facts in the Christian worldview. Of course. We do believe in certain in, – in real truth and in the – and even the certainty of truth or assurance of truth. And um, and so one of the things I can see – I wrote a blog post about, about this phenomenon, why Christian movies are so terrible uh, several months ago. And one of the points I made was – Suppose there was a movie that just sort of laid out the message of the gospel as artistically, but as clearly and and un, you know perhaps nuanced, but just the facts of the gospel in a forthright. We believe this way, not just a, here's a something that exists, but we believe this. Would it not seem scandalous or offensive to um, to the average audience? Uh, is is there something about the cross that cannot be depicted or or the gospel that um, cannot be articulated? In, in a way that would gain artistic approval. Is, is, is there something to that? There's something about Christianity that that's not going to fit into our, um, the sense, you know, our sensual, yeah, the sensibilities of, of artistry or something like that, it, you know? Um, and so I, I started trying to think of movies that might've presented the gospel in such a way, in a very clear way that didn't feel cheesy or that didn't feel, I wonder if it just feels that way to the flesh. And I couldn't really think of, 
any. No, I can't either. Not the Christian movies or the movies with Christian themes we like have this sense of mystery and nuance. And, you know, like, where's the clear gospel? As soon as the clear gospel shows up, it's like a record scratching, just like in an evangelistic conversation. If you put it in a movie, it's going to strike people as, oh, that's too tidy. That's too... So I, I don't even know if it's possible to make an evangelistic movie or something that doesn't sacrifice some level of that. But I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. That's that's an open question. I think I, yeah. I don't know that anyone has necessarily tried that. So yeah, at the at the level that we're talking, in, yeah. in the, the level that we're speaking of right now, in terms of high production quality, you know, great acting, that type of thing. Um, I'm not sure that anyone has attempted to make a movie like that that is a such a clear presentation of the gospel. And I think part of the reason, like you mentioned, is because trying to get somebody on board with that, even in the first place, I think that they would recognize immediately. We're talking in this case like the suits in Hollywood, right, yeah. who are making these kind of decisions and green lighting projects and that kind of thing. They would recognize immediately just how scandalous something like that would be. And so I'm not sure that it would ever even get off the ground yeah. at that level because they – they recognize it in their own hearts, right? And that's that's what their aversion is to it in the first place. So they know that if they are averse to that, that the audience, and in most cases their decisions are motivated by money, you know, what else, right? Um, the audience is not going to resonate with that and they're not going to approve something along those lines that they don't believe has a really uh, high likelihood of producing a profit in most cases. Yeah. All right. Well, look, let's talk about some movies for a moment. Some movies that we think may reflect Christian themes in a in an artistic way and in a helpful way. Not in a um, you know, there's lots of movies that deal with ideas of Christianity or Christian truths, and they deal with it in a in a uh, condemnatory way, or they're satirizing Christianity. And um, and maybe we can mention a few of those. But movies that actually are affirming of Christian faith or Christian values but have an artistic quality to them. In terms of, like, as we were just discussing movies that may articulate the gospel, um, it doesn't articulate the mess, you know, the the words of the gospel. It doesn't verbalize the gospel, so to speak. Uh, but the movie, obviously, that comes immediately to mind is a good Christian movie that uh, visualizes the gospel is The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. I wonder, what are your thoughts on that? Did you appreciate it the way a lot of us did? I did, yeah, I did. And I appreciated what he was trying to do with that and how he um, was not shying away from, yeah. you know, the actual horror that the cross was in terms of, of what Christ experienced and and what that event would have conceivably looked like to the audience who was who was there to witness it, right? And so he was trying to sort of transport us into their shoes yeah. to see and experience what that would have been like to have this man um, be sacrificed on the cross for our sins in that way and to go through everything that he went through and the suffering, the, the whole progression of, of the passion, if you will, right, up into the, to the point of crucifixion. And, of course, you know, there were the, the criticisms of, well, you know, he just barely included the resurrection at the end, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and, of course, he was motivated by Catholic theology and we're evangelicals and, and right, right. all those sorts of things, that the the, the the conversations that were and, yeah. swirling around yeah. that. But on the artistic level, I appreciated exactly what he was going for there. Because he was trying to produce the reaction, sort of the recoiling, yeah. seeing something like that in us as the audience that he would have expected the you know the original Jewish audience who was there to actually witness that take yeah. place, what they would have experienced. Yeah, I, I mean, as an artistic achievement, I think it's really exceptional. And um, but you have someone who is a a gifted 
you know, filmmaker uh, making, you know, making the movie. Uh, I think, you know, get, you know, I don't know all the movies that Gibson has written and directed or directed, uh, but he did one shortly thereafter about the about the Mayans. I don't know if you saw that about that film, and it's in the original language. Mm-hmm. And uh, he really has this immersive quality of putting you there. So he's not creating. I mean, that movie is created in turn. You know, you, you know, someone wrote the script, whether it was him or someone else. Um, he he's, he's he doesn't seem to be creating the world. He wants to put you in the world that existed, and certainly in the Passion of the Christ, you're there almost. You, you're an eyewitness. But then there's little moments of humanity, little flashbacks. You know, some even like cheeky moments of like Jesus invented the table or something. Like you know, chairs. And t- <laughs> you know, I don't think I don't know if historically that's that's quite accurate. Uh, but it's it's a it's a sweet little moment between he and his mother and. Uh, he gives you these little, you know, moments that that ring true. Well, you know, they're not historically true, um, but they but they ring true because the acting is good, the writing is good, the you know, the filmmaking is is all good. So you know, the quality of it itself has the ring of truth to it. Um, and you know, you know, I've heard just in the, uh, the last couple of weeks, actually, um, a, a friend at church was sharing that he he knows a a, a Muslim woman, um, you know, uh, formerly Muslim who converted to Christ, um, that was precipitated essentially by seeing the movie, The Passion of the Christ. And it drew her to uh, to find a Bible and, and to find a Christian to help her understand the Bible. And she came to Christ through this vehicle. So there's an example of, uh, of a work of art that is not explicitly evangelistic. I mean, it is in the sense it's showing you the gospel. It's visualizing the gospel. But it's not like saying you need to believe these things in order to it – just it's the representation of it, and yet it had an evangelistic – impact and probably did for many people. It did. Yeah. And I would say just even my own personal experience um, in college, I had a friend who was uh, an avowed atheist and not like the the kind of atheist and like popular level atheist who is normally presenting all the the tropes that you would expect from atheists in terms of the arguments that they're making stuff. But he was a thoughtful atheist. And so what I mean by that is he'd actually deeply thought through a lot of these questions and had come to an atheistic position rather than a theistic position. And so he and I, we, we uh, became friends in college, and we, were, uh, we would regularly get together just to kind of discuss these types of questions, uh, debate one another somewhat and everything like that. But it was all in, in friendship. Yeah. And uh, whenever The Passion of the Christ came out, I had seen it in the theater, and I thought, you know what? This might be a good opportunity to maybe kind of spur some conversations that are not necessarily focused philosophically on the existence of God but rather try to kind of bring him into the world of the scriptures in a way to get him to engage at that level rather than at sort of the outside broader level of mm. a theistic versus an atheistic position. So I invited him to go to, to the theater and to, and to watch it, and that's exactly the, the reaction that it had on him and wow. what it produced. He was, he was genuinely moved by it, and it spurred conversations about Christ and about the scriptures that we had never had before. Now, ultimately, he hasn't placed his faith in Christ, and, and we're still friends. We still correspond with one another, uh, even though we're in different locations. But at the same time, he at least appreciated it enough in that it moved him yeah. and that it allowed him, he and I to have conversations on more of what my level was coming from it from a perspective of a believer rather than just kind of tossing out these philosophical inquiries into whether or not God could possibly exist. Yeah, yeah. and probably in a way that a movie like God's Not Dead w- would not. He would have seen himself in God's Not Dead and 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 the caricature of himself or his yes, views. Right, exactly. And probably be turned off by it. That's that's a comfort food for a Christian. Uh, okay, so what are some other, you know, quote unquote Christian movies or, or movies with Christian themes that uh, that you've enjoyed? 
Well, um, one of my favorites is the one that I require my students in Christianity Hold on, and the arts to watch. Let's not go there yet. Okay. I want to save that for the, okay. for the cherry on top. All right, sure. Are there some other ones that, that... – Okay, yeah, sure. Um, an older movie called uh, The Apostle yeah, with Robert Yeah, that Duvall. was on my head. I'm okay. glad you said it. All right, okay. good. Yeah, so. Why is The Apostle so good? Um, it's, it's just a, a great story um, that is not neat and tidy in the sense yeah. that you would expect like a faith-based movie to be, but it's still nonetheless a – a deep level character study, I would say, into the sinfulness of a human being who is also trying to uh, do right in the sense of follow what he believes is, is God's call to ministry, yeah. right? So I don't want to spoil too much of the story for people who haven't watched it before, but uh, he's a preacher and he finds out that his his wife has been having an affair and he ends up beating her lover into a coma yeah. and then going on the run at that point, ends up in a in a small southern town uh, out of state and resumes his ministry with a new church, basically. Right. So he's on the lamb, but at the same time, also still trying to minister to this congregation that uh, has a very heavily racist past and, and some other elements that are going on there. And so there's just this fascinating dichotomy there yeah. of he's someone who knows he's broken the law, right? And he knows he's he's sinned and he's done wrong in that respect. And he's running from that. But yet at the same time, he's still also genuinely trying to pour into the lives of these people in this church and still pursue his call to ministry, which I'm not saying, of course, you know, is the right way to go or yeah, anything yeah, yeah. like that. But it is a, just a fascinating character study to to watch those two levels play out and sort of war against each other, if you will, throughout the movie. Yeah, so it's it's Robert Duvall, and I'm, I'm fairly certain he directed it himself. Did, I'm not yes. sure if he wrote it, but he, he directed himself, and he stars in the movie. And you're right. It plays on, on multiple levels because it's a simple story. It's it, it's not an epic thing or anything like that. But it has these levels of 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 uh, you know generational, of racial, of spiritual. These different levels to it, all wrapped up in the story. And what I think I appreciated about the most, apart from it just being a good film, like the the acting rings true, the writing is good, the the perform you know. Everything is 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 good qualitatively. What I appreciated about it is that it took the the spirituality seriously. I mean, there are lighthearted moments. There's moments of humor in 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 the movie. It's not a comedy, so to speak. But there's moments of humor in in the film that are genuinely funny. But they don't land. He's not lamp. I mean, it could be a lampoon of a you know Pentecostal preacher who's doing these things because he is kind of an outsized personality and he's got that you know it's it's Duval really kind of chewing the scenery with his southern accent and all these sorts of things. And he's he is kind of a larger-than-life, almost bombastic kind of character. And so you, you could have very easily become a satire of that kind of thing. But it takes the faith elements very seriously, which gives a humanity to the Christian characters, not just to the, the you know, the uh, the preacher himself who's at the center of the story, but the, the sincere Christians around him as well. They're not the butt of the jokes, um, and so one thing that I really appreciated was from worldly people, and I don't know anything about Robert Duvall's you know, faith. I assume he's not a believer. But from worldly people making a movie about Christians, it feels somewhat honoring to, um, to the you – know, it's humanizing. It takes the faith seriously. It doesn't make fun of them for being Christians, that sort of thing. And I really appreciate that. I appreciate that. It, it, it reminded me somewhat um, – we stopped watching it probably in the last season or two. But my wife and I used to watch this television show called The Good Wife. Which is not a Christian show at all. It's, it's, a, it's an hour long sort of like legal drama, and there's like romantic type stuff and some other procedural. 
Uh, but there was a character, the the main character, the good wife. Her daughter becomes a Christian. She, she like she comes to faith, and you know it's a it's a network television show. It's a very liberal minded show in terms of its worldview. Um, I I was just thinking, oh no, here they go, just sort of lampooning Christians and especially evangelicals because she was very clearly. And there was such specificity about the things that this daughter was believing and going to youth group to hear and all these sorts of things that I became convinced they actually have a consultant because people outside – we just know notoriously people who aren't clued into Christianity or the church, they have no clue. You see it in the New York Times whenever they talk about religion, the, you know, the ways they describe evangelicals or what we believe. There's no one who really even knows. They don't talk to actual evangelicals. They have a consultant because the things this young lady is saying as a Christian character – are things we actually say, the inside lingo, things we actually believe. And what I loved was they never use her as the butt of a joke. She's never looked down upon. She becomes, in a way, kind of the moral center for her family. She's trying to talk to her mother about certain things that her mother does or isn't doing that, you know, and she does it in a respectful way. She's not a pushy Christian. And I thought they have an evangelical or two consulting here because it's a true-to-life, actually, depiction. I I felt honored that they would actually present uh, an evangelical in a humane, fair, uh, and authentic way. And that's what I loved about the apostle. Yeah, I think you're right. And you hit the nail on the head there that they took it seriously. Uh, Robert Duvall did it, you know, as director and everything that this was not something to be made fun of, but this was an actual study into what he viewed that character as and what that person, what that preacher would be thinking, right, in terms of how to live out his his faith and his mission and what he perceived to be his calling in spite of the fact that he had committed this act. And so, uh, you know, I think that it's a great example of, like you said, someone taking the faith seriously, even though they're not necessarily approaching it from the perspective of the believer, but wanting to do it justice and wanting to do the just the story justice. And if, you know, if you try to say, do that story in a lampooning type way, like you said, or in a way that's going to somehow sort of disparage a person of faith, um, that would not have worked at all, right? The, the story would not carry any of the emotional weight that it does if there's any sense at all that the, that the person who is being depicted there, that preacher, is, is someone who is worthy of ridicule or should be laughed at. But instead, because he does take the story seriously, because he is intending to present a serious character study into the preacher's character, um, I think he he does it justice and does what he perceives to be Christianity justice. Yeah, you know, um, so often when Christians show up in these movies, in particular preachers, Christian authority figures, sometimes there's the humble Christian mom or grandma or something like that. But when they have preachers or priests, they are typically, they're greedy or they're adulterous or they're villains or some kind. And he certainly is a layered character in the apostle. He He's not a sinless character. He's not a you know, saintly character at all. And yet there's an affirmation um, another example, this is a television show also, is, um, uh, is Broadchurch. I don't know if you watch Broadchurch yes. with, with David Tennant. Mm-hmm. The priest character in that show who, of course, everyone's a suspect. So there is a point in the, in the series uh, where he's a su- you know, the priest is a suspect in this murder of a young boy along with everyone else. And they bring up kind of the specter of like, you know, pre- you know Catholic priest known for pedophilia or something, you know, that stereotype or that, or that you know, specter of, uh, of sin is over him. And yet, what you see over the the length of the series is this is this character, um, and even just the normal thing like a, a small church pastor could resonate with this guy because 
when something goes wrong in the town, like when the tragedy, the grief is fresh, everyone's showing up to mass and, and showing up to the church service. And um, and I, he, I don't even know if he's Catholic. He, he's not a Catholic priest, is he? he? I think he's Church of England. Yeah, I think yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so because there, there is a romantic interest at some point where he mm-hmm. you know, falls in love. Uh, but anyway, but there's just that specter of here's a religious authority figure in the town. And everyone's showing up in the in the you know in the fresh grief of the thing, and then once it kind of wears off and the news cycles down, he's he's preaching now to eight people again, and you had and it just felt so real. It just felt so authentic, and he's treated with dignity. Um, he's a good character uh, in himself. There's nothing that he does that's really untoward, um, but but he's not um, you know uh, he's not plastic. He's a real layered character, and so I just appreciate it when when um, when Hollywood and effect gets it right. Are there some other films that you can think of other than the big one that we're going to get yeah, to sure. shortly? Um, so there's a, a film, I think it was from around 2010, a French film called Of Gods and Men. Have okay. you seen that? No. Okay. Um, so it's entirely in French. You know, you have to watch it with subtitles okay. and everything. But it, it's a true story of a number of, of uh, French monks who were ministering amongst uh, Muslim people, and they receive word that some radical Muslims are, are on the way to the place where, where they are, the town that they're in. And that, you know, it's not going to end well for them if they are still there when these more extreme uh, extremists, you know, arrive and everything. And so the the entire movie is essentially the story of these monks and their internal struggle and decision of whether or not to stay in the mm. town, knowing what's going to happen and knowing that these extremists are going to come in and whether or not they feel sort of like the duty – that God has called them to, to minister to these people overrides their personal safety. So there's a, it's a really good uh, film that kind of explores what's going on there in terms of the internal struggles that they have, you know, what's right, what's the right thing for us to do here because we feel called by God. You know, are we abandoning these people and abandoning the the faith in a sense? Are we kind of somewhat apostatizing Mm -hmm. if we choose to leave rather than to stay? And so I don't want to spoil anything in terms of, what they decide to do, but it is based on a, on a true story. And so you'll, you have some of the monks who, who disagree with the others. And, and it's just a really interesting character study into each one of, of these individuals who are present within this place, trying to discern not only the call that God had already placed on their lives, but where they sensed that might go and where that might end up for them if they were to continue to pursue that versus prioritizing their own personal safety and sort of leaving their ministry behind, if you will. Yeah. You know, there's other movies that come immediately to mind when people start talking about um, movies made for the general marketplace that have Christian themes. Uh, one classic is is uh, The Mission, Robert De Niro, um, a story of the Jesuit missionaries in South America. Mm-hmm. That is very resonant. Um, you have a movie like very recently, Martin Scorsese's Silence, which I don't think a lot of evangelicals turned out for. There was sort of a push – uh, I remember reading early on in the production of that film or, or when they begin the marketing sort of impact of that film, wanting to get it in front of evangelical groups, similar to The Passion of the Christ, which had a great big evangelical push, despite the fact that Mel Gibson himself is Roman Catholic and the film sort of follows the Catholic view of the Stations of the Cross, that sort of thing. It had a great evangelical turnout, whole churches buying out theaters. Uh, for Silence, they wanted a similar thing, and it was just a hard sell all around because it's explicitly about Roman Catholic missionaries. Right. Um, 
and it's made by the fellow, the same guy who made The Last Temptation of Christ, which was <laughs> uh, 30 years ago, a huge uh, uh, you know, point of controversy. And, Still invites controversy. That's actually, right. Yeah. So, and, and, and rightfully so. Right. Um, and, and so I think even jugglers just have a bad taste in the mouth from Scorsese. Um, but Silence was a great film. I thought it was and, and provoked a lot of questions in terms of, um, you know, those under persecution is, is, you know, denying Christ, not denying Christ where, you know, it, it, it was a, a good meditation. And when I say good, it, it, you know, it's hard to say that, but it, it was a resonant meditation on, on suffering and persecution and even sort of becoming like Christ, you know, sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Uh, as Paul says, making up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, I think, um, through that. Uh, I thought it was a very resonant film. But my favorite, before we get to your favorite, or maybe your favorite, my favorite is just is is any of the um, uh, you know adaptations of um, Les Miserables. And I don't <laughs> – yeah. I mean, it's kind of a, the, the, you know, cult classic Christian uh, idea. To me, uh, like I don't think, for instance and, – and you could take – I mean, you take the Liam Neeson – uh, you know, version um, uh, w- with Jeffrey Rush as Javert and Liam Neeson as Jean Valjean that came out 20 or so years ago. I even enjoyed the musical uh, adaptation, uh, you know, with Hugh Jackman and, and Russell Crowe. Um, we watched very recently, I think it was BBC, the BBC miniseries. Um, we watched that. I just love them all. I don't think they're the best movies ever made, but I almost am convinced Le Miz is the best story, the story. And just because you have the classic law gospel kind of conflict mm-hmm. there, and um, just on a, a, a you know minor note, um, <laughs> uh, I guess pun intended, Russell Crowe singing. Like when people talk about the musical, Russell Crowe singing, right? It's like it's the worst part. It's why the people hate the thing, or they don't like Anne Hathaway or something. But they hate Russell Crowe singing. I even appreciate that because to me, he represents the law as Javert, and it's supposed to be slightly discordant. It's supposed to sound off key. Uh, whereas the gospel sounds more pleasing to the ears. Hey, I like that. Yeah, I like <laughs> that. And I say that as as a ma- major Les Mis fan okay. myself. So I've actually seen you know the act- the Broadway production, the musical uh, production about five times. I would love to so, see it. I, I can't watch it. Uh, the last time I watched it, I was just in tears. But and and uh, yeah, it's just it's so powerful. And and the you know the the complexity is there. The characterization is there. Um, and 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 it, it just feels real. Um, and yet the, the virtue, I mean, it's just unabashedly pro-virtue. It's unabashedly pro-grace. Um, and and you, you have courage and sacrifice. It just has just every major thing that you would want, uh, you know, the, the triumph of the human spirit to have. And yet the spiritual resonance is there. The reason Jean Valjean is the way he is is because his soul was purchased by the Lord. Right. You know? Right. So I like that just changes the whole thing. Yeah. And even someone who's relatively divorced from, say, like a, an evangelical Christian context would still nonetheless pick up on that whenever yeah. they they viewed it and understand the dichotomy that you're talking about there between the the law and the gospel or between the law and grace, right? They they see that play out and they understand exactly what's going on there even if necessarily they wouldn't approach it from the perspective of a believer. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's talk about, I don't know if it's your favorite Christian movie, but it, it, see, it, it's it's one that you enjoy. You make your students watch it? I do, yes. Is that yeah. the right way to put it? You make your students watch it? I make it? my students watch it, yeah. <laughs> so tell so, us what it is. Uh, it's The Tree of Life, okay. uh, d- directed by Terrence Malick. And uh, I'm actually a big Terrence Malick fan yeah. just in general. But I've loved everything I've seen from him. I haven't seen all his films. Yeah, but, yeah. but, um, but it, it is the one I think that is probably – 
quote, Christian movie par excellence, okay. right? That, that if, if I had to point to one movie that I would recommend everyone watch and see what a Christian movie can be, okay, that is the one to which I would direct them. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, te- I mean, just is there a plot? What, what's the movie? Because Malik gets a lot of heat. Like I watched The Thin Red Line, which is based on a book, and – Parts of the Thin Red Line, which takes place in World War II, I think it's World War II, right? Or is it the Korean War? Uh, it's World War II. World yeah. War II, and uh, but there's like you know eight minute tracking shots of a butterfly, and they, you know it's like what is he doing? And yeah. I enjoyed it for what it was, but he has a particular sensibility that I think Tree of Life is sort of he does, and, and so I mean Terrence Malick is going to make Terrence Malick's movie. Okay, so, that's right. I mean that you that's have great. to approach it from that perspective even from the very beginning. So you are you are getting the singular vision of one director in particular. So there is nothing that is left to chance. There is nothing that he has not decided exactly way, the way that that shot should be framed, mm. why it is, where it is in the movie and that type of thing. The Tree of Life is, is a difficult movie, um, just like all of Terrence Malick's films are. The Tree of Life is not uh, sequential in its narrative. Okay. So is think, there a plot? Well, like, is there a story? Um, you can discern an overall thread, I think would be the best <laughs> the way to put no. it. Right. You can discern an overall thread. But no, in a traditional sense, there's not going okay. to be a, a narrative plot that you could okay. identify each you know, traditional plot element throughout. Right. So um, it's not like that. Okay. So I, I mean, I at least tell my students you know, at the outset that this is a, this is a movie prop that is probably unlike – other movies that you've seen before. And I, I'm making an assumption on the on my part regarding yeah. my students, but in most cases it is correct that they haven't seen a movie like that before. I, I tell them, you know, it's going to be a challenging movie. You're going to have to pay attention to try to discern what's going on and when. It's not going to be in order. Uh, so, I, I mean, I at least set them up knowing that this is not their typical I'm going to the movies and I'm sitting there with my popcorn and right, so right. type experience, although I do provide them popcorn. While <laughs> watching, <so. laughs> oh, good. OK. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so we do screen it in class because I want to have the chance to discuss it afterward and I want everybody How long to kind of have a communal experience, if you will. Uh, it's a, uh, between two and a half and three hours, okay, closer so, to the three hour okay, side. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we do watch it in class and then we do have a chance to discuss it. And um yeah, I mean, I I just I love everything about it and what Malik tries to do with that in terms of his. It's a true to life story. It takes place um, in the 1960s, and uh, I just think that he does a fascinating job of describing and demonstrating sort of that dichotomy, like we were talking about with Les Mis, right, between the law and gospel or the law and grace, and what that looks like played out in the life of someone who grows up in a somewhat quote, Christian context, it's not exactly clear just how um, how committed his parents are to the faith. But uh, with what he presents there in the movie, I think is something that resonates or can resonate with just about anyone who watches it with a lot. There are some, you know, some Malik flares that are thrown in there, too, in terms of things that he's doing that seem a little bit off the wall, but make more sense contextually after you've seen the whole thing and you have time to kind of process it. Yeah. Um, so Brad Pitt's in this movie? He is, is that yes. right? Okay. Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain okay. are the two principal actors in it. What I mean, what are the principal Christian themes? You mentioned sort of the contrast between law and gospel and that sort of thing. What makes it, though, in your mind, a, a – is Malik a, a believer? As as so you know? uh, Malik comes from a Roman Catholic background. Okay. So I think he would consider himself to be a believer. I don't know in terms of whether or not he's ever professed you know, a saving faith in Christ. Okay. Um, but he does come from a Roman Catholic background. 
Um, I think he has a, an MA in, in philosophy, maybe, okay. if I remember correctly. Okay. And he was actually intending to become a philosophy professor before he um, went the film route instead. Yeah. So you can kind of see that element in his films as, as well. So he would describe himself as, I think, a, a believer in approaching things from the perspective as a believer, whether or not he may or or may not be. Yeah. Uh, he has a, a movie coming out this fall or I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it's actually coming out this winter called A Hidden Life, which is about the Austrian uh, conscientious objector who refused to fight for the Nazis in World War II. Yes. Which in the trailer looks very heavily um, – I don't want to say faith-based, but it just seems like faith and the Christian faith plays a heavy element in that. And I assume that's what is driving this fellow's it's, – it's based on a true story, you know, driving this fellow's conscientious objection. So I don't know if Malik is is making a, a more conscious turn towards um, the Christianity is less latent in his movies. Yeah, he, may, he may be. Okay. That, that's really interesting. Uh, you know, we could talk about movies um, all the live long day, and there's numerous uh, you know other examples of, of um, general market films that convey – uh, Christian themes, but I think it's a good starting point for you know for folks to begin thinking hopefully a little more deeply about things. Um, those of you who are angry, if you've listened this long, you're mad. We made fun of Christian movies, or we don't we don't like it. We didn't really make fun. I don't think maybe we did, uh, <laughs> but we criticize them for sure. I don't know if we made fun of them, but we we criticize Christian movies. Um, yeah, keep hey y- you do you you just enjoy what you like, I guess. Uh, but hopefully we've given you some food for thought, some ways to think more critically about art. Um, because ultimately, um, what art does is is not simply feed back to us our own assumptions and expectations. Um, art can entertain, should entertain, I suppose, and can give a level of comfort, just like uh, you know, comfort food can. Uh, but the best art reflects the glory of God in um, really multiple facets. God is not a one-dimensional God. His story in the scriptures, the true story. Uh, is not a one-dimensional story. And so the best art that resonates with Christian themes uh, helps us to think more deeply, to think more critically, and then uh, by virtue of that fact gives us a more fully orbed and multifaceted uh, embrace of what God has done in creation and what he's done through history through his son Jesus Christ. So, um, yeah, just let this sort of spur you on to think a little more critically about the art you consume, not just movies but books and everything else as well. Uh, I think the Christian market would be better off for it, and certainly your soul would be as well. Um, Thinking about your church as well, I think it would serve your church. Um, And on that note, thank you for listening. Uh, If you enjoy the podcast, please share us with your friends. Give us a good review on iTunes. Uh, I've I've been checking uh, up. You guys are not pouring out the reviews on iTunes like you ought to be, and um, I'm trying to be as as gracious as I can uh, uh, about this, but I'm going to start coming to your house and looking over your shoulder while you get your phone out. Uh, so get on, get on the <laughs> iTunes reviews. Uh, we would love it. No, thank you for all you do to support the podcast. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.